You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. It's good to have you here this day, and we do, as we said at the beginning, we remember this day, um, 9-11, and um, wow, 21 years ago? Is that possible? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I remember my kids, uh, well, my one child, he was only a year and a half when it happened. Isn't that amazing? Um, Now he's 22. He's still a kid. But um, no, it's, uh, it's amazing. Um, that was one of those days you remember um, where you exactly were when you heard the news or saw it for the first time. And we've had a few of those over the years. I remember um, I'm a little older than some of you, so Challenger was another one way back when, right? I was actually in Stewart, Florida for that, and we remember that. It shows us um, the frailty of life, if anything else, along with the uh, tragedy of the violence that is in the human heart. Now, I'm being very philosophical about it in that sense, but um, I think um, we just have to realize that's um, the brokenness in our world, and thank God we've got a Savior who heals and is going to reconcile and going to bring a lot of good, even out of the imperfections and the brokenness and all that's going on. It's amazing how God's perfect plan works with imperfect people. (laughs) Wow, you know? Um, So today we are in our sixth week of um, what we call the series on vulnerability. And um, nobody likes to be vulnerable, but we look for it in everyone else because we want people who are approachable. Vulnerability doesn't mean weakness, not necessarily. It means openness, willingness to hear, willingness to let me be, willingness to not have to play a game and kind of keep the the guard up. Um, Vulnerability opens us up to that. What's amazing is Paul. I'm just shocked at Paul um, in his ministry. He's not one of these, like, you know, supermen um, who've got his act together. He shows all of his weaknesses. He shows all of the things that are really he's struggling with throughout life. This letter, more than almost any other, in 2 Corinthians, as we're walking through it, he lets it all out and lets people see it, not because he's trying to do some catharsis. It's not for his own therapy. It's for the fact that God uses imperfect people in his perfect plans. That means we all, (laughs) thank God, um, we all can fit into that, right? We all can fit into that tonight, uh, today. Tonight, today, whatever. Okay. Uh, It is. Somewhere it's night. Um, But today, we're going to be looking at um, this aspect of vulnerability in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And it's not within the Corinthians. That's the sad part. Um, It is within churches that Paul brings up from Macedonia, which is northern Greece, um, Thessalonica, Uh, Philippi, Berea, probably, these churches. So we're going to be looking at the fact that vulnerability is about not just simply giving, 
but it's being open to others in such a way that even in our giving, we make ourselves vulnerable and we give beyond sometimes so that we become even needy in our giving. Isn't that interesting? I think a lot of people think, um, I'll give when I am got my act together. When I've got enough, then I'll give. And I'll give out of my surplus. Paul says, you'll never get there. <laughs> you'll never get there. We give even in our neediness because we're trying to be the body of Christ where we are interdependent, not independent. So we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, we could read the whole thing. It's actually the longest, most detailed, nuanced section in all of the Bible on generosity and giving. And it's amazing in its nuance because Paul doesn't list Okay, rule number one, rule number two, rule number three, check those boxes off, everything's good. He doesn't list things like that at all in here. He gives the example, he o he's opening up himself, he's opening up, he's praying that the Corinthians are open to a whole different way of life than what they actually had. And we're going to learn in this uh, message today, these three points, that generosity is given freely, fully, and antiphonally. I know. I couldn't think of a good word for that third one. I think, do you know what an antiphon is? No. no. It's a, um, it's like a chorus that is sung back and forth. It's a response it's like the echo. It's back and forth. It's receiving and giving. So Paul does something differently in this passage. He um, doesn't command generosity. He doesn't set the rules up. But he says generosity is freely given, our first point. And he can't look at the Corinthians for this. He has to go somewhere else. And uh, he, in three different ways, says this idea of what he's actually trying to get at is freely given. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, which we read, that first of all, um, 
I say this not as a command, see that? But to prove the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 8.11, after we read this, finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it. And then finally in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What's fascinating is in other areas of ethics or morality, Paul is pretty specific. He doesn't mince words, but here he's not looking to just get people to comply on the outside. Because generosity isn't about the amount. It's about the heart. It's about the motive. It's not about checking off a box. And that can be tough then, too, because then how do I know I'm really being generous? <laughs> do you know? How do I know I'm not being stingy or greedy? No one ever thinks they're greedy, by the way. Nobody. We don't think that's our issue. Angry, yeah, I've got that issue, maybe, right? Or um, all the other seven deadly sins, but greed is not one of them that anyone in our society thinks that they face. And yet, this is probably the d most difficult one to understand because it isn't just a matter of, well, I can tell because here's the line of demarcation. I've given this percentage and therefore I'm okay. That's what's fascinating. Paul doesn't talk, and this is interesting. The New Testament does not talk or set the rule of the tithe, even though it's a good guideline. The tithe is a 10%. That was an Old Testament um, set of rules given to Israel of how to respond. Now, Jesus does talk positively about the tithe. When he is talking in his own ministry in the Gospels, he talks about the Pharisees and how wonderful it is that they even tithed their mint and their cumin, all their herbs and spices. They, went, they tithed everything. But then he turns around and says, that's great, but you have also avoided the most weighty parts of the law of love and mercy. So he condemns them, even though they are tithing. So just by saying, okay, well, I've given my 10%, doesn't get you off the hook with this. Especially if you're giving um, because you want to get, or you're giving because, well, you want to get recognition, or you're giving because you think God will then give you favor. There are a lot of, um, sadly, prosperity preachers here in the United States, and it's um, going all around the world, saying, you know, if you throw this seed in right now into the collection plate today, God will bless you a thousandfold sometime in the future. That isn't freely giving. That is investing, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I would say to the preacher, that is scamming. <laughs> that is scamming. You are using people's desire for more kind of in a jujitsu move. So you're appealing to their greed. And you're not appealing to their generosity. And if someone says, do I have to? How much do I have to? 
It's kind of like with kids, you know, do I have to clean up my room? Well, you've almost lost the argument at the beginning, right? So you can get them to comply, but you want them to do it with a willing, cheerful heart. Do I have to do my homework? You can get them to do it, but you want to instill in them the, the love of learning. So Paul could have set down rules for the Corinthians saying, y'all, in Corinth, you're rich compared to all these other people. He could have shamed them. He could have guilted them. He could have done all sorts of things. He doesn't do any of it because what he's after is not an amount of money. He's after their willing generosity, their freely given generosity. He is trying to instill in them the image of their creator and savior who freely, generously, joyfully gives. So that's one thing we learn in this, that uh, giving is freely done. And I am so thankful. I, there are so many times I see in this congregation that's happening, uh, that we are a culture, a community, a family that we freely give and freely receive. Actually, you see, Jesus said that. He said, freely you have received, freely give. That's the way the world is supposed to work. It's not a world of taking and consuming, although that's the way the majority, I think, in our culture are living. Just consuming, taking, getting what I can, giving a little away afterwards. It is to freely receive and to freely give. Our second point is that generosity is given fully. So generosity isn't a thing. It's not an extraction. It's not a tax. <laughs> And it's never a partial thing. I don't care what percentage you might be giving. Paul um, was amazed, actually. This is, uh, when, when you amaze Paul, that says something. Because Paul, St. Paul, I think, had pretty high standards. Uh, look at what he all went through. We've gone through this in the letter. He's gone through shipwrecks and beatings and imprisonments and hunger and you know, nights without a place to sleep in, uh, in a home. And he's talking about how he's doing it all for the sake of the gospel. And he's, um, he's compelled to do it. He's not. And so he puts pretty high standards out there for what it means to be an apostle and to be a follower of Jesus. What's amazing is he shares with the Corinthians a time when he says this um, about the Macedonians. He says, and this not as we expected. This not as we expected. They, did be, they, they, they shocked Paul. And when we read that before, what we, he shocked about two things. First of all, that they gave out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. They could have easily gone to Paul and said, I know, Paul, you're, you're wanting to collect all this money for the people in Judea, the Christians, brothers and sisters over there. They're going through famine. They're dealing with persecution. But quite honestly, Paul, here in Philippi, we're struggling, man. We've been under persecution, too, and we've, we've had some tough times. So we'll try to uh, give you a little for that. No, they, out of their poverty, there welled up a great generosity, he says. Isn't that shocking? He didn't expect that at all. He could have looked at them and said, yeah, you know what? I'm not even going to ask y'all because I know what you're going through. It also says something about generosity, by the way. Everyone 
everyone, everyone can be generous. Because it's not about the amount. Everyone can be generous. But then Paul said, it wasn't that they just gave a little of something. It says, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So they gave themselves fully to the Lord first and then for whatever he wanted. Isn't that kind of amazing? I love that. And Paul calls this whole thing, when he starts out this thing, the word grace comes up. In 2 Corinthians 8, he said, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches. Grace. He considered it grace, seeing the way that they were so willing to respond. Grace. They looked at it as just a gracious thing, an opportunity. Wow, we get to do this. We don't have to do this. It's not an extraction from us. It's something we want to do. We want to help others. We want to help our brothers and sisters in Judea. Now, Paul didn't share all this with the, uh, with the Corinthians to guilt them or to shame them. He wanted to show them a more excellent way of living than consuming and taking and building up their own little world. Now, I think you've heard this before. I've heard it many times in America, somebody saying, you know, I have worked hard for everything I've earned. Have you ever heard that? I'm glad you've worked hard. I'm glad there's a lot of hard workers in this church. But who gave you the ability to work hard? Did you get it? Um, who gave you the brains and the bronze and the body and the opportunity? Who gave you the ability? Who gave you the place that you were born, the family into which you were born, maybe the work ethic that your parents and grandparents and others had. You know, you could have been born in the 11th century in the steppes of Siberia and then see all the hard work you've done to see how much that didn't turn out. Who gave you the ability that your hard work actually paid off? Because there's other people that work just as hard as I do that don't get what I get out of it. Do you get it? I didn't ask for my eyes, I didn't ask for my ears, I didn't ask for being born at all. It's all gift. It's all grace. And I am absolutely interdependent and dependent on others. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't born my, birth myself. I didn't feed myself. I didn't care for myself for many years, right? We're always interdependent. We're always interdependent. Here's the reality check. There can be no great spiritual growth in your life if you do not fully give your life to the Lord first and then from that be using all the resources he has for others to the point where you actually, well, maybe just become interdependent and needy on others. If you haven't given yourself fully to that, 
um, then basically you're not trusting God as much as theoretically trusting God. <laughs> um, you're still in control. You're still the one kind of making the, the decisions, calling the shots. I know that's harsh, but I think it's true. Now, a more positive way of saying all this is what Arthur McGill says, and he writes in one of his books. Those who love in the name of Jesus Christ serve the needs of others willingly, even to the point of being exposed in their own neediness. They begin in constant need in which God nourishes them. They are directed by Jesus to expend all the nourishment upon others and so to end in need again. And there they must wait another's help. And it is their need and not their love that relates them to God and relates them to their neighbors. At the center of their life, their very most innermost center, they are grateful to God because they themselves are, th that there they themselves be needy for God, and there they do not fear neediness. That is what frees them to serve the needy, to companion the needy, to become and be one of the needy. That's what the Macedonians were living by. They only got by they only survived, they only thrived because they were living in community, being needy, receiving, and giving and meeting needs of others. There is no other such thing. There's no relationship, there's no friendship, there's nothing except receiving and giving freely and fully. That's when you're connected to people, that's when it really matters. You know, I've gone on mission trips over to uh, Nicaragua, to Haiti, elsewhere. And we Americans often go over to these countries and think, yes, we're going to be giving so much to them. And hopefully, if you've ever done this, you find out the material stuff is nothing compared to what they give to you. The depth of their faith. You gained so much. And it just makes you kind of go like, hmm, I wonder if we understand this whole thing. I wonder. So giving vulnerably to the point where it might change your lifestyle. Because it might make you a little more dependent on others. Because that's where God wants you to be. And then finally, we give antiphonally, because right now, if you don't feel like, how in the world am I supposed to live like this? I don't even know how. That's why this third point is here. Because you give because you've been given to. You have freely received, therefore you freely give. You fully have received, therefore you can fully give yourself. Um, that is what makes it amazing. I can never outgive God. I can never give more to God. I can't give anything to God that isn't already his anyways. I can only give antiphonally in that sense, in response to what I have heard, what I have been given, how God has already given. He is the great giver. Jesus himself, Paul sets up the example that while Jesus, in his own poverty, that he, though he was rich, became poor for our sake, so that through his poverty we might become rich. Jesus himself lived antiphonally 
with the Father. Everything he had in life was received with thanks, but he also gave it all away. Every bit of it. He didn't even have a place to lay down his head, he said during his public ministry. And we see finally at the point of the cross where everything is sacrificially freely given there. It wasn't stripped from him. It wasn't taken against his will. He willingly hung on that cross. Those nails did not hold him there. It was his love for you that kept him there. The cross is the point we realize what the good life is like. And I know that's not necessarily what? Yes. Thanks be to God, Paul says, for this, his in, inexpressible gift. And that is Jesus. Jesus wasn't just born into this world. Did you ever think of that? He was given to this world. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave. Yes, Jesus was born. He was also given to this world freely and completely to the point where it says in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all will not also with him graciously give all things. If you don't have the freedom to give an eye-popping shocking proportions to heal this world with your wealth, your time, your energy, your service, in whatever form, maybe then you haven't realized how much you've been given. That Jesus Christ, the treasure of the Father's heart, the apple of his eye, the greatest thing. God did not give a thing or stuff that he created. He gave the uncreated himself in his own son into death for you to lose all to just gain you. And when you realize that you are the treasure that God has always been seeking and gave up everything to have you, then it's a lot easier to let go of our little trinkets for the sake of the kingdom. This last week, um, Ashley and I, I think being on the campus of FGCU, we had a couple of interactions. One was interesting to me, um, and that was at our pizza lunch on Wednesday. We had what, 20, 30 students come by to get pizza? I don't know, somewhere in there. We've had a number. Sometimes we get a chance to really talk to them. Sometimes they say, hey, thank you so much, and they just walk away. This one guy uh, came by. I don't remember his name. You probably don't either. I don't know. I think we got his information or sent, gave him the ours. But he came by, got a piece of pizza, and walked away. Five minutes later, he's back and says, um, why are you doing this? Remember that, Ashley? And we're like, well, because we're here to encourage students. We want to build community. We want to build relationships. And so it's just a free gift, you know, a little pizza. And if you, you know, he goes like, wow, I've been here a year on this campus. This is my second year. I haven't gotten involved anywhere, but I'm really, wow, I need to know more about y'all. We don't do it to try to get, you know. We do it because that's the way God wants. But that's how you build community. You build community. Now, second interaction I had in one of my classes, uh, we were discussing values in our leadership class. And these are um, 25 freshmen taking this class on leadership. And one of the students said he 
sees, they were saying, oh, well, love is really important. He goes, yeah, but it's always, it's always a deal. It's always a transaction. He doesn't believe love is ever freely given. There's always strings attached. And one of the other students at the table, because I was overhearing that said, no, but you know, God's love. He goes, yeah, not so much. He's thinking, yeah, well, God wants something out of me too, right? And I think he has a point in the sense of he has not experienced in his life, in his family, from what I came to understand, when it isn't about giving to get, when it isn't a transactional thing, when everyone in the family is just really seeking their own ends and what they can get and benefit from the family. He has not yet truly experienced unconditional no strings attached love. But the only way he's going to do that is if those who have been unconditionally, no strings attached, been loved and forgiven by God through Jesus, start living that out and reflecting that, freely having received that we freely give. So I'm praying for him that somehow through us, through other Christians on campus, he might get to the point where he realizes the love of God. Or as Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you this day that you have given freely, fully, and you do call us to respond, not for the sake of getting something out of us, but for the sake of us benefiting from living a life like the Macedonians lived, of, even, of being generous in all circumstances, of being joyful in all situations, of being able to live in your love and mercy and grace and understand it even more deeply. You know sometimes um, we want to hold back because we're afraid if we give that would make us a bit needy or be too inconvenient. Forgive us those times that we're not trusting you, Lord, and help us to be such a community of interdependent friends that we're family in the way that we truly freely give and freely receive. Lord God, right now we do lift up some people who are in need in our congregation, specifically Otto as he's recovering from surgery. We pray, Lord, your healing upon him that you'd be with Laurel too as she cares for her husband. We pray, Lord, in your mercy, you would have mercy on us all and that he'd recover fully after his operation on his broken arm, that he can be active in serving you and serving others as he so chooses and so wants to. We lift up Bob and Joan Beverly, Lord, as Bob it has faced a lot of ailments over the years and now as they are looking at um, moving to be closer to their children during this time. We thank you, Lord, that his medications have been working well recently. We pray that you keep guiding them on their path and that you uh, keep using them for your kingdom. And even in their weaknesses, even in their vulnerabilities, Lord, your glory and your strength is shown. Your love and mercy is expressed. Lord God, we're uh, going to go into a time of offering here. And, Lord, 
help us to respond and to see you. And not sit down with a calculator, but to sit down and view your cross, Lord Jesus, and understand what that means, so that that just sinks so deeply into us, how you have freely given everything for us, Lord, that we would be the treasure of your heart, so that we can offer not just a little of this or that resource, but we're gonna offer ourselves to you, Lord. May your will be done in our lives and your kingdom come through us to this world, that the, those who right now are a bit cynical, a bit questioning, not seeing too much that's not just about transactions and getting ahead, Lord, that they may see through us, that they may see through us a little of your grace, your unconditional love and favor. Lord, and uh, prepare us to not only give, but to receive, to receive you fully and completely as you offer yourself in the Lord's Supper this morning. We pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us, Lord, our hard-heartedness, any denying that we have sinned against brothers and sisters and friends and family, how we have neglected or how we have just overlooked. In all those things, Lord, we confess our sins to you, confident that you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All these things we lift up to you, Lord Jesus, in your name, the greatest gift of all. Amen.